0: Well, amen. That was pretty good. (laughs) The book of Judges in your Bible this morning, please. The book of Judges. The message is the basis for supporting law enforcement or a Christian view, if you will, of law enforcement. The biblical basis, I could add. And in the book of Judges in the Old Testament there, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, if you're in that part of the Old Testament. You can look in either of two places for the same verse, in chapter 17 and verse 6, or you can just go to the last verse of the book, 21:25. The verse is identical in both places, repeated for us. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Think about those words. In those days, there was no king. There was no central government. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Everybody made up his own idea of what it meant to enforce the law. Now, I won't turn you there in the Bible, but in the fifth chapter, there's a verse that says... That things, conditions in the country at that time were so bad, so violent, that all the main roads were unoccupied, that people took the byways, the little pig trails, we called them when I was a kid, the little path through the woods and the back alleys and the back roads. And why did they take the byways instead of the main highways? Because it was unsafe to be on the highway. Check your news. Yesterday, Phoenix, Arizona, 12 cars have been shot up on the highway. And so that was epidemic in these days. The book of Judges is a book about anarchy, if you will, for the most part. A complete breakdown of law and order. And as has been said so many times, even bad government is better than no government. And when we look at situations that we've observed in our own lifetime, we've seen what a horrible, horrible state it is when a nation lapses into to anarchy, when law and order break down. And so we appreciate these officers, these men and women who've come to us today. They are not perfect people. We know that. But on the other hand, without them, they hold back the forces of evil that would make it intolerable to even live in this community. And so we appreciate them for that. Augustine, who I preached an entire message on last week, made this statement in his writing. Peace in a society flows from order. And both peace and order are necessary preconditions of liberty. And think about those words, they're profound. Peace flows from order. And both peace and order are necessary preconditions of liberty. And all you have to do is look at one of these nations where there's a great revolution. Look at Baltimore, Maryland a few weeks ago. And you will see that when law and order have broken down, That everybody's liberty is taken from them People are afraid to go out of their homes even Or to get on the streets Or to go shopping The ordinary events of life So the question is this today Why is law enforcement necessary? And the Bible has the answer to all these things This is why after standing here and preaching for 45 years I'm as excited about my Bible as I was the day I picked it up and began Because you see, it has the answers I'm like Francis Schaeffer The great philosopher, theologian Who so profoundly shaped my own thinking And Schaeffer wrote many years ago I became a Christian because the Christian faith Is the only philosophy on earth that explains what is Christianity explains why there are Baltimore's and why there are Rwandas, and why there are anarchist situations around the world from time to time. And it tells us why law enforcement is necessary. In your Bible, in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, you only have to get three chapters in. The first chapter, God created everything. Second chapter, a little more detail on the creation. Chapter 3, what happens? It would seem that... Adam and Eve would be thrilled and elated and they would want to obey anything that the Lord said. If God said whatever he may have said, they would have said, "It's our pleasure to obey you, God." But they didn't. And Satan tempted them, and right there was revealed the nature of man, and they would rather listen to the voice of Satan than they would listen to the voice of God. And God had only given them one law, only one, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. Only one law. It was a test to see if they would be in submission to God. And as human nature, they had to break it. They had to see if he really meant it. And they broke the law. And sin entered the human race. We call that, if you're a theologian or a preacher, you call that event the fall. Man fell from the, his original state to a lower level now. And sin has entered his heart. It's entered the gene pool, it's entered into humanity, the stream of humanity. Chapter 3, flip the page, one page. Chapter 4, we have the first murderer. The first murderer. A man kills his brother over just a disagreement with uh, over, an, uh, over making an offering to God. And in one chapter, we go from absolute perfection to murder. That's why law enforcement is necessary. Because man cannot govern himself. We are broken people. We live in a broken culture. We live in a broken world because of this thing called sin. And if there were no law enforcement, there would be no hope of justice. We don't have perfect justice now. But I can tell you it's 10,000 times better than it would be if we did not have these ladies and gentlemen here today to protect the law and order in our culture. So why is law enforcement necessary? Because man cannot govern himself. We are sinners by nature and sinners by practice. Number two, I want to show you that law enforcement is really ordained of God, that this was not the founding father's good idea. This is not a good idea from some human being somewhere, some philosopher or some lawmaker, that... The idea of a group of people in a culture to, or, to enforce the law is God's idea. It came from the Creator, from our Maker. That's how important that role is. Now, remember that prior to the flood, the first in chapter 6 of the book of Genesis, prior to that, there was no centralized government anywhere. And you say, what did they do? Well, fathers were responsible for their families and their conduct. We call that a patriarchal society. It's a big word, the patriarch of the family. The man, the father, was held responsible for the activities of his children. Still a pretty good idea, don't you think? And yet, the fathers couldn't always police the children. They couldn't control all the behaviors of their offspring, And so God himself, immediately after the flood, gave some guidelines. If you would turn to the book of Genesis chapter 9 with me, I would like to read those guidelines to you. They were very simple, very short. It wasn't like the tax code of 70,000 pages. It's just one verse. But God gave a very simple explanation to the people of that day. Shortly after the flood, these are his instructions. Note, if you will, Genesis chapter 9. Now, they've just gotten off the ark, and the great worldwide flood has occurred. And here's what God said. Verse 5, surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast or animal will I require it. Even if an animal kills somebody, that animal will have to forfeit its life. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. And then listen to this very solemn verse. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Two or three things to observe there. First of all, this is a description of murder, the Crime being talked about here is murder. Look again in verse number five. He talks about this, she- or verse number six. He talks about shedding man's blood. If somebody sheds man's blood, that's murder. And so the, 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 the scripture here is talking, the instructions are about murder. Now, hear me. The greatest crime, the single greatest crime is Murder. And this verse tells you why it is, because murder is an attack upon the very image of God himself. Notice what it says there in verse number six, in the image of God made he man. And when the murderer sets himself up for whatever reason to strike against another person and to shed their blood, that murderer has actually stricken the image of God himself. He's destroyed the image of God as God made it in that person. And so that elevates murder to a very special class of crime. Notice in verse 5, he talks about every man's brother. And so at that time, everybody was given responsibility to make sure that they protected life. However, it didn't take long in human society that... This command was really interpreted as being an, a, a command to establish a formal system of human government that would enforce the laws because it, when laws are not enforced, it's, it's equal to having no law at all. You know yourself, if there's a stretch of road down here and somebody says, oh, they never enforced that, you know what happens. Everybody drives ninety until they get to where there might be a policeman. You, 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 we know that happens, and so a law without enforcement is is tantamount to not having a law at all. And so that passage implies there must be somebody who's going to apprehend the people who shed men's blood. The need, the necessity of law enforcement. Later on, of course, if you turn over the book of Exodus and so on, God gave his law to Moses and the Ten Commandments. And one of those is what? Thou shalt not kill. So this was codified. This was formalized. Somebody was to have the responsibility to enforce the law. And so again, law and order exist for the purpose of establishing justice. And by the way, justice is one of the most basic of the characteristics and attributes of God himself. God is absolutely a just God. So he requires law to be enforced. Now go with me to another key passage on this subject. It's Romans chapter 13 in the New Testament. Romans chapter 13. And I'm I have this scripture written out for you so you can read it from the screen in case you didn't have a Bible today. And just read it with me and look at it. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Higher powers means those who are in uh, judicial authority. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be, the highway patrol, the sheriff's department, the police department, The powers that be, that exist, are ordained of God. Whosoever, therefore, resisteth the power, the governing authority, resisteth the ordinances of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Rulers are not, rulers, law enforcers, judges, the judicial system, are not a terror. To good works in other words if you're keeping the law you, you should have nothing to be afraid of but they should terrorize the evil it's healthy that the bad guys in society are afraid of law enforcement wilt thou then not be afraid of the power well just keep the law do what is good and you will have praise of them and by the way law enforcement the bible says you're to praise the good people as well as arrest the bad people you know that For he is the minister of God to thee for good, he being the policeman, he being the judge, he being the law enforcer. If you do that which is evil, you should be afraid. For he bears not the governmental judicial sword in vain. For he's the minister of God. A revenger, boy, we wouldn't want that. That wouldn't be very politically correct today, would it? A revenger to execute wrath upon him That doeth good. Look at those verses again in your Bible with me. I want to just point out something. Verse one, all power, meaning all authority, comes from God. Even when that authority is abused, it still is ordained of God. Verse 1, again, every soul is to be subject to the higher powers, the authorities that are set up in a a culture. Every soul, nobody is above the law. Now, we know that sometimes in various situations that's not true. We know that there's favoritism shown and so on. But it ought not to be in the pure plan of God. There's nobody above the law and nobody beneath the law. Every soul is to be subject to the higher power. Verse 2, notice with me that if I resist law and order, I am really resisting God. And I will receive judgment. Judgment. And sometimes when I see these people on television taunting officers, spitting on them, cursing them, I would like to be able to stand there and preach to them and to say to them, listen, you are taunting God himself. He put those people in that place Whether you like them or respect them, whatever you feel about it. My friend, the Bible is very clear. When you resist the law, you have resisted God's plan, and you will receive wrath or judgment. That's what the Scripture says. Amen? Amen. And remember that. And if we keep the law, verse 3, we ought to have nothing to fear. Law enforcement ought to honor those who do obey the law. And if we do evil, though, we should be afraid. Notice the word there, even terror. We ought to quake in our boots if we're out here violating the laws of God. In verse 4, law enforcers are called ministers of God to execute justice on evildoers. I, I met a guy one day who was in law enforcement years ago, and he said, Aren't you a preacher? Aren't you a minister? And I said, I am. Aren't you? And he looked at me sort of strange. He didn't know what I was talking about. And he said, what do you mean? No, I'm not. I'm a policeman. And I said, no, you're a minister of God to thee for good too. I showed him a verse in the book of Romans. I don't know if he, could, I don't know if he appreciated it. I couldn't tell by the look on his face, but I did tell him. <laughs> you're a minister too. You're ministering justice in the society. God ordained that you do that as well as for me to preach the gospel. Now to the church. Why are Christians supposed to support law enforcement? Look in verse 1 again. We're subject to the higher powers. We're subject to the laws of our nation, whatever, wherever we may live. Here would be what I would want to say to every member of the Florence Baptist Temple. We Christians should be the best citizens in town. We ought to be the best citizens in Florence as professing Christians. And when we are not, we really hurt our testimony. It's been a long time, Chief Heidler. I want you to know. But one day I was driving down Second Loop Road, and I wasn't really paying a lot of attention And suddenly there's a little light behind me, and I pulled over and I thought, and the gentleman wrote me a ticket. I said to him, I'm Pastor Monroe. He said, I know who you are. (laughs) And so I end up there in the little side building in front of a judge, and are you Pastor Monroe? We have William T. Monroe here today. Are you, are you the pastor of the Baptist? I thought, don't say it. <laughs> Just call me William, what's your name? <laughs> and the worst thing was not paying the fine. The worst thing was that in breaking that law, inadvertently, you know, I, 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 you, you may not think it's a big thing, but you know what hurt me? I brought discredit. In the name of the Lord. Here if there's anybody in town. Ought to be obeying the law. It ought, to be, it ought to be Bill Monroe. And I didn't have a big excuse. I was, I was over the limit. And they took my money. <laughs> they took my money. We ought to try to be the best citizens in town. When we do. We honor the Lord. And listen to me, Christian, whether you like the law, whether I like the law or not, when we don't, we bring dishonor to our Lord. Be subject to the higher powers. And that also means we ought to pray for our leaders. I want you men and women to know this, that on Wednesday nights, we have hundreds of people gather here for prayer. Every week on the front of that prayer sheet, there's the name of some of our local leaders and we pray for you. And we commit to do that. And sometimes that paper says, even some of your names who head these agencies, we are to pray for you. We're to show you the respect that your office deserves. I hear people say sometimes, well, there's a bad apples among some of the police. Perhaps there is there's bad apples among pastors, all professions, I understand that. But we respect you not because of who you are personally. The Bible teaches us to respect the position, to respect the uniform, to respect the badge, what you stand for. And we should show you respect, which we tried to do today, and we should pray for you. Turn in your Bible with me, please, to the book of First Peter chapter 2 to all of you here. 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse 13, words could not be clearer as to God's will. God reveals his will through his word, doesn't he, church? He always, how do I know God's will? God's will is revealed in his word. And in 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance or law of man for the Lord's sake whether it be unto the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, that's the law enforcement people, and for the praise of them that do well. Verse 15, notice it. For so is the will of God. So is the will of God that we submit ourselves to every ordinance of man now there is one exception and this is something I think the times have brought before us to where we ought to out instruct the church because you know I teach people to observe the law that again God's people ought to be the examples of law abiding citizens in the community and I think for the most part we are but you know something, there's one exception to obeying the law. And by the way, we're seeing a little lady up in Kentucky who has challenged that principle. And What is that exception? We Christians are subject to a higher law than any law that man makes, including the Constitution, state laws, Um, Local ordinances There is a law There are laws that are higher law Than any man made law That higher law we, We refer to it by three or four different names We sometimes call it the law of God And when I talk about the law of God I'm talking about the Primarily the Old Testament But some of the New Testament too I'm talking about the Bible This is the law of God the Bible, Scripture. But we also call it natural law. The founding fathers understood that. Do you remember what they said in the Declaration of Independence? They referred to the laws of nature and nature's God. The laws of nature and nature's God, and they referred to that as being the highest law, higher than the law of the land. Also, sometimes we refer to it as the moral law. The Scripture, the law of God, the moral law, the natural law, they're all one and the same. They're synonymous terms, all three of them. And as Christians, we recognize that because that's the scriptural teaching. And here's what I want you to understand, church. God's law, natural law, Moral law transcends, is above, and greater than any man made law. Now, that's been pretty theoretical and philosophical, but in my opinion, unless this nation changes courses, we as Christians are going to probably have to deal with that because today there's an element of people in this country that hate Christianity, they hate the Bible. They're doing everything they can to destroy the Judeo-Christian base of this country, and they've gone a long ways towards destroying it. And if they destroy it, this is going to be more than Bill Monroe ranting about something down there at the Baptist temple. This is going to become something you and I have to make a choice on, and you won't get to decide whether you make the choice. You will make the choice if conditions continue. Because when man's laws violate God's laws, Christians must honor God's laws. And it may mean we suffer terrible consequences. It may mean that some of the people seated in this room would one day have to come and put a handcuff on me, God forbid, for obeying the higher law instead of the law of the land. Now, don't write me off as being a Cook here today that's pretty extreme but we're on a course where Christians right now are already beginning to be persecuted in this country and we're in good company if we do do you remember in Exodus 2 the Hebrew midwives who the pharaoh said kill all the male children of Israel and they said we will not do it and they defied the law man's law do you remember Esther the Jewish queen who disobeyed the law of the king of Persia, the law was that unless he held out his scepter to you and you approached his throne, you would die. And she took her life into her hands. She said, if I perish, I perish. And she approached the throne in order to reveal a plot, an anti-Semitic plot against her people. And she saved the whole nation, the King welcomed her. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused to bow down and worship that golden image in Daniel chapter 2, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace, and yet God came and miraculously rescued them? They violated man's law because they believed in a higher law. Do you remember Daniel who refused to pray to the king and said, no, and threw open the window shade so everybody could see him and prayed to Almighty God rather than to the king as was the law of the land. And was thrown in the lion's den because he had a loyalty to the higher moral natural law of God than he did to the, to the law of the king of Pers- Babylon at that time. Do you remember the apostles who were told, you can't preach anymore in this community and they said, we ought to obey God rather than man. We're going to preach. And they threw them in jail and they beat them and they persecuted them, but they never stopped them from preaching. And Christianity encircled the world as a result of their efforts. Do you remember the Christians in the Roman Empire who were told you have to offer a pinch of incense to Caesar or you will be, you will be punished? And they said, we will not, we have but one Lord, it's Jesus Christ is our Lord. Do you remember the founding fathers in America who broke the laws of King George in colonial America and established a new nation and wrote the Declaration of Independence? And they said, upon our lives, our honor, and our fortunes, we don't care. We're going to obey what God's laws of freedom are. Do you remember the Underground Railroad that illegally transported slaves to Canada and broke the laws of the United States in order to give people their freedom because it was an unjust and ungodly law that a man could own another man? Do you remember Martin Luther King arrested for demonstrating peacefully on the streets of Birmingham? In April 1963, and from there he wrote the famous letter from Birmingham Jail. I quote, said King, one has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility, moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral, natural law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law, end of quote. There comes a time when Christians have to say, Will I serve God or will I serve Caesar? God forbid that that would ever happen in the land of the free and the home of the brave. But there are dangerous trends. And now's the time to talk about it. And now's the time to teach our children. And now's the time not to be afraid to stand for truth, the truth of God's Word. Augustine said an unjust law is no law at all. And he was right. Now, look up here and listen to me. The heart of the Christian faith really involves this matter of law because the Bible says all of us have broken God's law. Everybody in here in one sense or another is a lawbreaker because the law of God, the Ten Commandments, there's not one of us who have not broken them. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is the transgression of the law, the Bible says the transgression, the breaking of God's law. You know, once we've sinned one time in our life, we've missed God's standard. And we need forgiveness. And we're helpless. There's nothing you can do to eradicate your sin. You know what you have to do to miss heaven? Sin one time. Be less perfect than God himself. And the only way that gap can be made up is through the grace of God and the mercy of God and the kindness of God. And God loved us and saw us as helpless and hopeless lawbreakers to one degree or another, but all of us breaking his laws. And he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish and have everlasting life. And in the simple gospel, God offers grace and mercy and forgiveness to anyone who will accept it. All of us have sinned. All of us need grace. Bow your head with me, if you will, please.